My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 20 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. We lost a true legend of Irish athletics a few days ago, the great Jerry Kiernan. And in a strange bit of spiritual running symmetry, if you like, on the very same day that I found out about Jerry's passing, I had an interview lined up with a fellow Kerry running legend, our 1991 world mountain running champion, and another true gent, John Lenehan. So it's a really special episode this week, everyone, as we interview the greatest Irish mountain runner of all time. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Welcome everyone to this week's show and I hope you're all keeping well and still able to get the miles in at least. Not quite as we would like at the moment but the good days will be back so do hang in there trail runners and mountain runners. We will be back conquering mountains very very soon. Before we kick off this week's show with a special section on strength training for runners with our in-house coaching expert Rene Borg. A reminder that we do have a new Patreon page to help support the show. We will never put paywalls up for our content as our aim is to grow the sport of trail and mountain running in Ireland in a fun and free way for our listeners. With the Patreon page we simply ask that if you would like to make a contribution to the show to help cover our costs and a small recognition for the hours put in to produce the show we would be very grateful and we will continue to do our best to produce great content for you. And indeed a special thank you and a shout out to Joe, John, Fabio and Anthony who became Patreons of the show last week and tune in to the end of the show everyone when we announce a very new and special segment of the podcast the podium run which aims to get you the listener more involved and hopefully help keep you all motivated and keep the motivation levels high before we can get out to do some proper training and some proper racing but for now let's call in our coaching expert from Running Coach Ireland Rene Borg and find out how we can get strong to help climb all these mountains. Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Rene, you're very welcome to the show. Great to have you back as always. Yeah, thanks. Glad to be here, Owen. I've just hacked myself through a few bushes to be with you in time. What, what happened, Rene? Were you out training and you encountered a bit of a problem up the local Wicklow Mountains there? Yeah, yeah, it was just one of my regular routes, you know, so you, you kind of think your, your local routes, you should, you know what's going on, but there was a bit of road, uh, sorry, there was a bit of forestry felling going on on the trail I usually take, so I had to take a detour, and the old trail that I knew I could take was totally overgrown with first and gorse and conifers, so, you know, with cold, uh, exposed legs, you know, it was a lot of fun having to squeeze through about a kilometer worth of that. Well, I'm sure you got a very good workout regardless, Renny, and you got to maybe work those leg muscles of yours as well. So maybe that's a good intro for what we're going to talk about today, which is strength work for runners, which touched on it last week with our Q&A session from our questions from the listeners. And a couple of listeners have since got in touch to ask us, well, what strength work do we need to do as runners? So there's maybe two trains of thought, Renny, where, you know, you 
like today? Today they're training up the Wicklow Mountains. You are bounding and jumping and climbing over trees and forest paths and what have you. So you would have came home with a great strength work um, session done. Just like when we're out running and training, we're working all our running muscles as we're running, of course. So some coaches might say, no, you don't need to do any extra strength work because you do it all when you're running. But then, of course, maybe some coaches will say, absolutely, you need to supplement your running training with in the gym, at home, to help increase speed, to help enhance efficiency, and of course, to avoid injuries. So maybe we could start off the conversation, Rene, by saying, what do you think? Do we need to do strength work or not? Is running enough? It is for a few people, Owen. It would be the very short answer. So a few people who have a certain background can get away without additional strength work. And it's usually because they already possess all the strength that they need for running. Uh, and we've had chats about this before on the podcast, you know, that a lot of manual laborers, uh, if their job is not too repetitive and people who work, especially in things like landscaping and farming, you know, tree surgery, that sort of thing, they get in plenty of the type of natural resistance training that is required to be generally strong enough for the specific demands of running, if you want to put it that way. Uh, but that doesn't describe the majority of people today. And it, I think it's also, that's the reason why if you go and read uh, old books and, and new running books as well, to be honest, you find conflicting advice. Most modern running books will recommend some kind of strength training. But if you go back to the sources, um, you would have had coaches like Percy Serity in the 50s who said that lifting was absolutely essential, lifting and body weight exercises. Whereas Arthur Lydiot, who in a way eclipsed him and his athletes, uh, he, he was very dismissive of strength training. But Arthur Lydiard uh, worked with people who came from a very physical culture, you know, 1950s New Zealand. Uh, many of them had manual jobs and many of them were terrific athletes when they knocked on his door at 19 years of age. So you have to put a lot of this advice in that sort of context that if someone comes in the door and they're already terrifically strong and then he says, well, all I need to do with this guy is running, then that advice is true. But I, most of us, have lost some of the strength that we need, not just for running, but in a way for life in general, you know, and that sounds a little bit dramatic because what, what, what does he mean? Uh, we've lost strength for life in general. What I mean is that uh, everyone knows today that as we age, we get weaker and the less you do to keep yourself active um, the, the more muscle mass you lose, the more tendon strength you lose, the more bone density you lose. So essentially, as you get older, and if you don't do anything to arrest the effects of aging, you get more and more frail. And you can obviously see this in certain older people, you will find some older people, often farmers, who still move around not much differently than they did 40 years earlier, whereas others are, are limping around or they're hunched over so close to the ground, you know, their noses are nearly dragging off the pavement. So that is a decay that we can, that we have to do something about if we want to go and do specific sports like running, because running does have certain demands. Uh, so I think for the purpose of this discussion on the best thing is to, to, to think of it in terms of general strength. So some advice on what do we do to keep our general strength that's not directly related to running at a reasonable level, and then define what's actually running specific strength. And I know we have covered already on previous podcasts, how can you make yourself strong with running? Because you mentioned hills there, you know, and there's sand dunes and snow and all these things. There are ways to keep muscles stimulated and strong through running. 
but it's not always enough. And it's, we, we, I don't think we'll even go in today to, to rehab on because re- rehab is very specific. You know, that's when something in the body is already uh, broken uh, and it's all out of sync and it needs to be rebuilt. But I think if we, if we leave the running exercises out of it for today and the rehab and just focus purely on what can we do to become a little bit extra strong, both in general terms and in terms of running, I think that'll, that'll hopefully allow people to take something away they can start right away. It sounds good, Rene. And I know that you mentioned in a conversation to one of your running coach, Ireland athletes during the week, that there's two different types of strengths. There's bilateral strength, where two legs might be together, and bilateral strength might come into play in exercises such as Olympic lifts and deadlifts. But they can actually negatively affect athletes if overused. And then we have, of course, contralateral, meaning that the opposite hip works alone with the opposite shoulder, which is what we do in running. Because of course in running, uh, unlike when we're lifting weights in a gym, our two legs are never touching the ground at the same time. So what would you advise, Rennie? Would you advise to do a little bit of both, to actually do some Olympic lifting, do some deadlifts just to get that overall strength? Or should we actually leave it aside and focus on the more running specific strength exercises that you mentioned? Where, where's the nice sweet, sweet spot um, with that? So as usual, it's a question of timing. Um, but maybe to help people think about it in practical terms, if you think about the people around you that are strong, you know, that's what you're looking for when, you, when you're saying, I'd like to be stronger. You know, so it means you'd like to probably be able to, to lift more, resist more forces and things like that. And what people tend to be very strong. Well, it's tempting to think it's just people who go to the gym a lot. But if there's, there's a, I was listening to an audiobook out of my run, it's called Out of Thin Air, and it's by a UK athlete called Michael Crawley. He's a 219. Uh, marathoner and he's an anthropologist who specializes in studying Ethiopian running and he said that they one thing that he notices about the strength of Ethiopians who have a very nice lean physique is uh, a lot of them are very hard-working farm boys essentially that's that's the background they come from so one thing we can see straight away is that if you want to be strong and in a way that will be that we can be able to relate to running it's not a question that you have to pick some kind of uh, modern fitness technique or you have to go to a gym you know and pump iron um, Arnold style because all those modern fitness approaches they were designed with particular purposes in mind, right? So we know that bodybuilding was obviously to, to get big and bulky. Um, Olympic lifting is a sport, you know, so it's about lifting a weight in a particular way really, really quickly. Uh, and then you have things like yoga, which is, you know, is a very, very broad pa- practice with ancient traditions. But again, it has specific purposes and we could go on and on. So as you say, the first question is to ask, well, if I do general strength training, so things as lifting an object off the ground with two legs or doing it in form of an exercise that most people know, you know, like the deadlift or a squat, is that useful for running? The short answer is that's a general strength training for running because it's, as you say, it's not specific because in running, all of the action you do is what's called contralateral. So as to say, it's the, the opposite glute works with the opposite shoulder. And, and, and if you want to go a little bit technical on that, it means that the, the glute on your right is actually firing in running or should be firing at the same time as your lat on the left. And that's a very particular pattern of strength that... The, the, the body thinks 
in these patterns of recruitment to solve particular problems. And the better the brain is at recruiting and timing these kind of muscle contractions, the stronger you'll be. It's not all about just pumping up the muscle. It's much more about how can we teach our brain to recruit enough fibers at the right time? So that means if all you do is, uh, let's say, two-footed lifting, bilateral lifting exercises, you will miss out and you might overstimulate the body in terms of, say, of firing both glutes together as one example, as you do that lift. And you never, you know, you might even break the connection that needs to be there. And that is there naturally for someone who, who learns to, to walk and run in a healthy way, you know, as they grow up. So that's, that's the first thing to consider. So the way to do that is that if you want to do some general strength work, because you want to keep the ability to lift things, you know, maybe you want to do things like, like pull-ups uh, or push-ups, whatever exercise kind of picture fancy, but you want to do something so that you still have a bit of strength as well in your upper body. You just need to remember that it takes energy. It will not directly transfer instantly to better running performance. And if you do it to excess, it'll probably make your running worse, especially if it leads you to be overtrained because you do it too intensely, or if you bulk up more than you should. So there's, there's ways around that own, um, which I can explain in a second where you avoid this risk of getting bigger, because obviously if you're a runner, you don't really need to be bigger because it will make you, you might be stronger, but you'll also be heavier. So there's no guarantee that you will actually run faster because you're carrying the extra bulk. Sure. You think uh, to counteract all that, Rene, would um, a typical plyometric session, would that work? Um, I know it's something that my own coach for many years, Adam Jones down on Farnham did, that every Thursday evening he'd do a plyometric session, which would consist of jumping and bounding and skipping up hills. And is that the type of strength work that we need to be doing as opposed to lifting metal bars with our two feet stuck on the ground, as we mentioned? Yeah, that is the running specific training, essentially, because running, if, if we go to what is specific training, well, as you say, in running, it's okay. So it's one leg at a time, but it's also, it is moving quite a lot of force. So when you impact the ground, that the amount of force that your muscles have to resist uh, is, is roughly two times your body weight. So let's just assume a fairly light runner, 65 kilos, that's still 130 kilos. Um, and you have to handle that in, if it's a, a runner with a nice fast cadence, it's in less than 200 milliseconds. So that means more than three times per second, you will be taking the impact of 130 kilos of force. So that means that that is a very particular type of strength. To, to think of it, think of two types of lifters. You know, if you've seen power lifters, they lift a lot of weight and they lift it really slowly. So they can lift a bit more than an Olympic lifter, but the Olympic lifter lifts the weight really quickly. So in terms of the strength you need as a runner, you need to be closer to the Olympic lifter. And that's why you see some elite runners gravitate towards that type of lifting because they think because the speed is similar, there must be more of an overlap. And there is some evidence to support that. The problem is that Olympic lifts are really technical, you know, so it's a huge undertaking to, to get yourself in and learning how to do that, you know, and also have access to the, the right racks and everything else. So for most people, their running specific training is actually what you describe. It's one-legged exercises of very quick impacts to the ground. 
uh, where the contact time with the foot is long and ideally, sorry, short and ideally against resistance, which would a hill would be an example of that. So that's where the Lydiard hill drills come in and, and your own coach's hill drills, you know, of bounding up a hill, jumping, you know, on alternating feet up the hill and things like that. Um, but the problem is that if you are, have an unprepared body, so a body that in, in many ways is in a little bit of a state of decay, uh, it has lost some bone density, it has lost some tensile strength, uh, it might not be very good at recruiting muscle fibers because you haven't stimulated or asked the body to do it for a long time. And it might even be what they call muscular atrophy, which is that you have used your muscles so little that there's fewer of them now. And that then leaves the joints exposed because if one way to think about muscles and joints is that muscles protect the joints. So a muscle that is able to fire strongly will protect the joint from excessive strain. So what often happens is that certain runners who are ill-prepared generally who jump into plyometrics, especially if they jump into plyometrics a little bit too enthusiastically, they pick up quite bad injuries because plyometric is very high impact. And it's also very technical. And that means if you're a runner who has a very bad foot strike, for instance, um, you could be doing yourself a lot of harm very quickly. Yeah, Rene, it happened to me um, last year that when I was trying to come back from the couple of injuries that I had, I thought that I would mix up my mileage with some plyometrics two or three times a week to try and get strong. But what happened was the plyometrics ended up actually doing damage and causing injuries to reoccur because I was bounding, I was jumping, I was doing some maybe 60, 70 meter sprints. But the problem was I hadn't got the easy mileage of maybe five or six weeks done so that I had the strength for the plyometrics. So what I did just maybe around the end of November, December was I scrapped that plan. I went walking for two weeks. And ever since I've just been doing easy mileage and only now, maybe after five or six weeks of easy mileage, am I probably ready to do the plyometrics? So as you said, you do have to have some strength there and some easy mileage in the tank before you can be strong enough even to do that special specific piece of strength. Yeah, and there's there's kind of two ways um, I like to there's two directions I like to point athletes who think that strength is going to become a problem for them. You know, and one one way you know a, a lot of athletes can get away with just slowly upping their mileage, having some hills there, and that'll be enough resistance if if everything else with your body is pretty good. You know, that'll provide enough stimulus for stronger muscles and what do you call it, um, strong bones. And then once you add in something like hill sprints, you get more muscle activation, you know, and then you can, you, you can build from there. But for a lot of people, it's beneficial to, to look at, uh, you know, extra work if they have the time and inclination. And there's two directions I like to point people. One is quite, uh, you know, it's, it's very intense and very detailed and it really cuts all the, it, it touches all the bases. The other one is much simpler. And thus, it's probably more applicable to most people because you can get started with it very quickly. And that is um, types of natural body weight and lifting exercises. And there's two systems I'd like to mention today. One is just out. It's a book called Get Strong by Phil Maffetone. I think a lot of runners know Phil Maffetone's name. He was the coach of Mark Allen, the famous triathlete. And he developed this system called, uh, which is all around max aerobic function and, and health. But he, he in his book is basically showing with, with science and experience that a lot of the type of strength that a runner needs you can get simply by, imagine you're, you're in your home office at the moment or something, and you, if you place a few 
dumbbells or even if you have room for a barbell or some other object like a, a, a big heavy bag or something, if you place that in the room and you go over at some stage between um, emails maybe and you lift that um, at a reasonably even pace five to six times. So it should be something that you feel a bit of tiredness once you've lifted it that amount of times. And then you put it down again. And then you rest five, six minutes and you you repeat that for two or three sets or you just do it whenever the next time you in your work, there's a natural break where you can just go over and do it. So see, that sounds super simple. You know, it barely sounds like like a real workout. And he, he calls, I think the subtitle of his book is that there's no sweat and, and there really is, there's very little muscle soreness. There's very little sweat. Um, and, and there's not huge technique that you need to learn to execute an exercise like that. You just need to focus a little bit on keeping a straight back, you know, because that's usually where people go wrong when it comes to lifting objects. Um, and the benefit he claims in that, and I would say this is borne out in, if you look at, at working people, this whole idea that you need to have extreme muscle pain to get gains you know, no pain, no gain is something that came out of bodybuilding um, because that's what's needed to create, you know, these huge um, muscular gains. So we need to, in a way, take that hat off and remember for a second that most people who have good natural strength, often better strength than people who go to the gym, they do that without getting sore all the time. They're just going along their day doing various chores and jobs that is part of their work. And it makes them extremely strong because they can do it nearly every day and they can do it over long periods and they never get so sore that they have to take a lot of days off and they never get so sore that it impacts their other physical activities such as running. So if that sounds appealing to people, I would give that book um, a go. So look for Get Strong because that would certainly be a really simple way to do something easy for yourself that'll probably make you stronger um, without getting into more details. So, so that's the easy route on. Okay. And maybe our final question on the topic for this particular segment, Rene, is strength work, whether it's plyometrics or lifting, is it something that we need to do all during the season, constantly throughout the year, or do we bring it back a little bit, maybe just before races, say two or three weeks before a big event, do we still need to be lifting hard and do we still need to be doing our plyometrics so we get to the start line as strong as ever or do we pull back a little bit? Oh, you, you follow basically the logic of your general schedule. So that means that uh, the general strength that you're building for running, you know, in forms of, you know, your, your very fast speed over short distances and all the endurance, the slow endurance work, the same time of the year you do that, you would focus on general exercises such as just, you know, lifting weights um, off the ground. And that could be reasonably heavy and it could be quite regular. Um, if it was an intense session, if you're a gym goer, you know, then it would be only two or three times a week because otherwise I don't think you'd be able to do much running. But when you get to the phase that when you start to do all the specific workouts, um, like the, what would you say, the, your interval trainings or your very long, fast runs and things like this, all strength training has to take a bit of a backseat. And usually the way people handle it is that they cut it down to maximum two sessions um, a week. And the the weights become quite low. So really all you're doing is, is you, you keep the movement up, but without much muscular strain, just so you maintain what you had before. Um, there is a difference though, if you are 
the same with plyometrics, by the way, Owen, once you get to towards specific training, the running is plyometric. We have to remember that. So especially fast running is very plyometric. So that means the, the only plyometrics you should do once you start high-speed running is actually as part of a warm-up. You might do some light jumping and things like that to kind of stimulate the body. So it's, it's no longer a dedicated plyometric session. It's just a few drills in, in the warm-up. Um, but the exception is this specific complicated training I was referring to as the alternative to this easy way um, of just, you know, lift, lifting an object in your office, which is uh, systems like functional patterns, um, anatomy in motion, where the goal is to perfect strength in the what you call the contralateral gait. So that means all the exercises they teach in that system is about strengthening the body when it is walking throwing and running because believe it or not throwing is very related to running it has a similar mechanism um, at least in terms of glutes uh, and shoulders so those exercises can usually be done throughout any running program as long as you watch your overall energy and the reason is that they are not really strength training in the way we kind of have it in our heads you know or heavy weights are going to be tired for two days after they are much more about resetting the body constantly if that makes sense and there's always room for that sort of strength training. Okay. Well, listen, Rene, it's a very, it's a very tricky area, isn't it? And it's something that it's very important that we get right. I think it does need to be very individualized. And maybe a word of advice for our listeners is just to be careful of generic strength exercise programs that, that are out there. They can often do more harm than good, as we mentioned at the top of the segment. So just to be careful with which, which exercises you choose. And of course, Rennie is on hand. If you ever have any questions at all, you can get in touch with Rennie from the Running Coach Ireland website or the social platforms on Facebook or Instagram. Rene, many thanks for that. That was very, very helpful, very, very insightful. And um, be careful of those trails up in the Wicklow Mountains. All right, Owen. My pleasure. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Time for our feature interview this week and today we have a world mountain running champion and it's an Irish mountain running champion, the great John Lenehan. John won the world mountain running championships in Zermatt in Switzerland in an epic race and battle against local home favourites in 1991. He's the only Irish runner to claim that world title and not only was John a world champion in mountain running, he ran incredible times on the track and on the road as well. 13.55 for 5,000 metres 29.36 for 10,000 metres and all before the age of 22 before he moved onto the roads where he won the Irish title twice over the half marathon distance and setting a championship record to boot in 1986 that still stands today 63 minutes and 15 seconds for the half marathon this is an interview that I've been looking forward to for a very long time so without further ado here's the world champ John Lennon. John, you're very welcome to the Trail Running Ireland podcast. It's an absolute privilege to have you on the show. Good evening, Owen. It's uh, 
It's an absolute pleasure to be on. So thank you very much for having me on. No, a pleasure, John. And I have to say, thank you for installing Zoom on your computer or phone because you're one of the few lucky people that haven't had to um, do a Zoom call all year. So uh, you've escaped well on that one, John. Yeah, I live a quite a simple life up here in the mountains, so in my farm. So um, yeah, Zoom has not been an issue um, all along, anyhow, until now. I thought... Before we started our own interview today, um, I thought we could maybe dedicate our, our interview today to a fellow Kerry athlete, um, a great rival of yours back in the day, and I'm sure a good friend as well, in Jerry Kiernan, who the two of us just found out today that um, he passed away all too soon yesterday. So um, I'm sure you'd, you'd maybe like to say a few words about some of your amazing battles that you had with Jerry on the roads back in the day. Yeah, firstly, I want to say it was absolutely shocking news when I heard it today. I think I must have had about 20 phone calls, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in, in, in the space of, of about five minutes, uh, everybody wanting to contact me um, and let me know the, the, the terrible news. Um, I'm still in disbelief. Um, Jerry and myself were great competitors. We had many a hard battle, um, and he always won them. I finished second him on numerous occasions but I could never get the better of him. He was one tough competitor. Um, I trained for a, a little while in San Diego with Jerry. Um, I was based over there for a few months and we had some good times over there in San Diego, uh, training on the beach over there. Um, so he was a good friend. He was a tough competitor and uh, it's going to take a while to get, get our heads around that he's actually gone. It's it's. it's it's unbelievable, unbelievable. And John, I just did a, a quick Google search this afternoon for your name and Jay's name together. And this little um, sequence came up. Um, I'll give you just a quote from a race report back in the day. It said, um, Jerry Kiernan maintained his unbeaten sequence in road races in Cork when recording the exceptionally fast time of 47 minutes, nine seconds in the Belgley 10 mile over a difficult 10 mile course. He finished 43 seconds ahead of John Lennon. So John, one of the many battles you had there in, in Bell Cooley. Yes, indeed. If I remember correctly, I think that was the day that uh, Neil Cusack finished her the same day. Um, I remember that occasion. And uh, yes, as I say, it was one of many days when I saw the back of Jerry Hearnan. Yeah. And there's a lovely photograph of the three of you, John, that I think um, you saw this afternoon as well uh, of the three of you that day. And um, it looks like it was a, a lovely moment between Three superb athletes and uh, a nice memory for you. I, I know that photo because I put it on Facebook actually some time back for something or other. And uh, I think somebody put up a comment. Uh, we looked like uh, three rock stars with the heads of hairs rather than yeah. three athletes. 
I know. And uh, he, he was a coach of mine, John, for a season as well. He was a brilliant coach. He, he helped me on the track. Um, and I remember I was a newbie in the group. And one day I was the only one there on a Sunday morning in UCD. And Jerry came out, even though I was the only one of the group available that day for a session, he, he came out and he encouraged me on for a couple of 400 meter sessions. And then a couple of weeks later, John, he, he gave me the boot from that training group because I decided Decided to, to hit the mountains, um, but despite kicking me out of the training group, um, there was never a bad word said, and uh, you know it, it was great because sometimes you can have you know disagreements or faults with code. It can go, there, but he just <laughs> told me where to go, and that was it. And uh, and we were still friends afterwards. So um, a, a lovely memory there as well. Yeah, he had he had a good reputation as being a very good and a very influential coach and, and very motivational. Um, I would never have never worked with him in that in that sense, but uh, the reports I heard was that yes, he was he was very motivational. He was, he was great. Um, John, before we go down memory lane and we chat about your, your own most famous win when an Irish man was, was champion of the world in the mountains, I just wanted to maybe begin our own interview this evening about what role running has played in your own life, John, since those glorious competitive days of the 80s and 90s and I know you went on to run in the in the 2000s as well you are still winning races and um, over the last maybe five ten years are you still training are you still in contact with the mountains well I set up a walking club or I was very much part of setting up a walking club in my own area here um, so we around the mountains most weekends outside of COVID, of course, at the moment, but uh, outside of all that, yeah, we've been on the mountains. I'm into the hiking there. I have gone abroad a good bit on the mountains and uh, went to Everest Space Camp there a couple of years back. So I'm very much connected with the mountains all the time. I, I don't run them anymore. Um, I, simply, I can't. I had a hip replaced, and uh, so I can't run the mountains. I miss them big time. Yeah. But look, it's a it's a nice transition that at least I can still get out and take groups with me on the mountains. And I, I enjoy it from my own eyes. I enjoy it from looking at it through their eyes, people who have never been on a mountain before. It's probably an amazing thing. It's probably one of the nicest things you can do is take new people on the mountains, take them up Karen Tool or whatever, and, and see it through their eyes and see the, the excitement they get out of it. So I'm, I'm still enjoying the mountains in that sense. Now, it's great to hear, John, because I'm sure a lot of athletes, a lot of elite athletes, they maybe struggle when they get to the end of their career and they miss their endorphins. And for, uh, for someone like yourself who was in the mountains competing and training and running all the time, um, I'm sure you're delighted that you can still get out and, as you said, um, contribute to the, to the mountain running community and, uh, and get up the mountains and still go exploring and still go on adventures. Absolutely. But, you know, I have I have been where you said I have been there, you know, when I retired from running. Um, there was um, a phase in my life when it was very, very tough for me and very ex extremely difficult to deal with. Um, missing the hype of running, uh, missing that adrenaline buzz. And, uh, you know, I was giving up something that I had been doing, I suppose, for 30 odd years uh, without a break. 
and I did find it very, very difficult to adjust uh, to life without being competing, to life without getting those phone calls. Will you run a race here? Will you run a race there? Um, I miss that big time. And uh, yes, it's a very, very difficult thing. And I think a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is for our sports people to settle into, I suppose, normal life um, after being uh, competitive in, in, in the world of sport for so many years. Sure. And I know, John, the, your, your world championship win that we'll talk about now, that was in 1991. But I saw that you still won the Karen Tuchel race in 2009. So you still managed to keep on competing and winning for another, what, eight, 18 odd years after that world championship win. Was the body still able to keep going on into the mid 2000s? Or, or was it, were you, were you struggling at that stage or were you hanging on for dear life to get as much out of the legs as you could? I think your last sentence there sums it up. I was, I was hanging in for dear life. Little niggles were creeping in. You know, uh, I was starting to run into little more, more problems injury-wise. Um, it was also more difficult to keep the head focused uh, at that stage of my career. Um, so I was just trying to hang in there. I suppose my love for the mountains is what kept me going. My love for running in general kept me going, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I did, I won Karen Tool on, on my 50th year when I'd be 50. And I think, you know, I think at that stage, I kind of felt that it was probably a good time to bow out from, from racing up and down Karen. Yeah, and John, what have you taught? of the explosion in, in, say, trail running and trail running races, especially over the last 10 years, since maybe around 2009, 2010, when you have all these massive, big races like UTMB, um, all the big ultra trail world series that are all around the world and all corners of the globe at the minute, it's a very different mountain running landscape nowadays to maybe the 1980s and the 1990s is there any part of you that that wishes that you could still race in a UTMB today or what do you think of the current landscape of mountain and trail running oh I absolutely love it and I would I would love to be able to buy into it um I mean I I love I love I suppose I love all types of running, but for me, there's something about off-road running, trail running, mountains. Um, it kind of gives me that extra little bit of adrenaline. It gives me that extra bit of kick. I just love that aspect of it. I love that type of landscape. I would love to be have had the opportunity to do that type of trail running in my day. Um, yeah. It was it was more uh, rugged mountain racing that was there. If you did road if you did road running, you'd cross country, and you had you know, pure mountain racing quite often over very rough terrain. Um, but yeah, I think it's great to see the trail running there. It's bridging the gap between cross-country runners and mountain runners for people who want to get something off-road, but maybe don't want to take on the sheer ruggedness of mountain racing. I think it's a little bridge there. I love it. I think it's a great thing. And I think it's fantastic to see so many people doing it. And I certainly, if I was competing today, would definitely be, be, be buying into it. Sure. And you have a fantastic trail running race down very close to you, the Kerry Way Ultra, um, which thankfully got to go ahead there just a couple of months ago. Um, do, do you follow that, John? I do indeed. I have been I have been stewarding at that race every year since it started. Um, 
I do the I do the graveyard shift, the yeah. night shift down in Sneem, and uh, up near Stake Fort. I, I pitch my tent there, and uh, I stay there through the night until until daylight, and um, try and encourage the runners on. It's a, it's a very lonely section of the Kerry Way, and uh, I was asked by the organizer Eileen Daly at one stage would I the first year would I go up to that area and just be there as, as a bit of security and uh, she has sent me back to that position every year since and and I love it there's a great atmosphere this year we took along a stereo and we set up the stereo so as the runners come to 12 and 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning they had music blaring on the side of the mountain for them as they came through so that was a little surprise for them I think so yeah I've been part of that since it started Oh, brilliant, brilliant, Dan. John, I know you were a little bit reluctant to come on the, the show when, when I approached you during the week and, you know, you were saying, Asher Owen, everybody's heard my story at, at this stage. But I think just probably a whole new generation of, of trail runners, as we've been talking about, that have maybe come into the sport over the last four or five years that, that maybe don't know that Ireland had a world champion mountain runner in 1991. Um, it was a brilliant, brilliant day, John. And, and you know, I'm sure you've been asked lots of times, but I'd love to hear it. And the, the listeners, I'm sure, would love to hear it too. But John, what are your standout memories from that fantastic day in, in 1991 when you became world champion in Zermatt in Switzerland? Yes, I suppose, as you said, they were on. I was a little bit low because I felt, you know, the story has been told so often. I didn't want to be <laughs> boring your audience with it. But, um, yeah, look, um, that was a day that changed my life forever, you know, um, to, even to this current day. Um, I suppose in 1990, I had competed in, in Austria and I had my worst performance at the Worlds when I collapsed on the course and finished up in the medical tent. Um and that was a very disappointing time for me because I had come fourth on previous occasion to that. I had fourth and fifth and I think sixth or something, you know, I had been up there. Um, after that race in 1990 in Austria, I was very, very down. I was saying I was never again going to compete at international level. I felt that I had kind of missed my opportunity of being on the podium. And that's the one thing I had hoped for a long time was to get on that podium at the world event, be it gold, yeah. silver or bronze, just to get on the podium. Um, when, when I, I suppose, took some time to get my mind and my head right after Austria. But slowly but surely, I fought back in 91, and I felt I didn't want to end my mountain running career with the memories of Austria, my international mountain running career, anyhow, uh, with the memories of Austria. So um, I suppose I went to news, I, went, I, I suppose I went to Zermatt in, in, in um, 91 to prove a point, maybe to myself as much as anybody else. Um, that I was that I was better than than my my performance in Austria, um, and I suppose the way look I went I went out to Switzerland. Um, I, I loved the course. I walked the course a couple of days before it. It was a two lap course. It was a type of course that suited my type of running. Um, steep uphills have suited my road racing uh, speed, you know. And um, you know, I, I think just everything just fell right for me that particular year. Um, it, was, it was on the first lap around, I was fairly well down the field, but walked my way up coming down that mountain that I was being told by Irish, English, Scottish, the Welsh, that were all, all the home countries were really behind me, telling me how I was fixed, how far I was ahead. Um, with the result that when I hit the, the streets of Zermatt, 
um, I had quite a substantial lead of about 30 seconds and, and I knew at that stage that there was no way I was going to be caught. Uh, it was a glorious moment for me, those last few minutes running through the town of Zermatt because I could I could absorb, absorb the atmosphere uh, uh, knowing that, that I had this race won. And uh, as they say, you know, the, the, rest, the rest is history. It was, it was a fabulous, fabulous uh, occasion for me. And I think for Douglas Barry, who was team manager and had done so much for Irish mountain running, it was a great reward for him as well, you know. And I'm just looking at the results list here, John, in front of me. And you were up against tough local runners as well. Um, there was two local Swiss runners trying to track you down that day, uh, Marius Hassler and Woody Schock. Um, and it's absolutely brilliant to see that, obviously, yourself in first, but also Robbie Bryson, also on the Irish team, was fourth that day as well. So in the top five, you've got three Swiss local home runners, but then we've got the two Irish men there as well. That's correct, yeah. And I suppose Woody was uh, maybe a lot of the favorite, locals' favourite there because he had previously won the, the World Junior title, you know. Uh, so he was a young lad coming to with home home advantage. Um, Robbie's performance in fourth, I suppose, was... It was a fabulous. It was a fabulous achievement, and I often felt sorry for Robbie because, you know, I suppose the fact that I won it on that occasion, uh, it took from Robbie's position from his fourth overall, and a lot of people didn't maybe appreciate his performance. But look, you know, Robbie came back and, and probably should have won the worlds. Uh, maybe it was the following year or two years later. I'm not sure. He came back and he finished fourth again, despite being leading um, at, at, at closing stages of the race. He was leading. And on the team that day, there was also Tommy Payne and Eamon McMahon, and he's got a fantastic team bronze. As And as far as I know, John, that's the only um, male team medal that Ireland has got in the World Mountain Championships. I, I don't think there's been any other. So another historical result that day as well on the team side. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think it was the only it was the only time, I think, it, as far as I know, that we've got that team in the, in the men's senior event. Um, you know, but that was a very solid team that time. And, and, you know, I suppose you look back on that and the memories of that day, but I think the proudest moment of all that one, I think had to be uh, standing on the podium and watching the uh, the Irish flag, the tricolour being raised and listening to the national anthem being played. That was really a goosebumping moment, I think, really. And then getting the team up there for the bronze. Yeah. It just was the icing on the cake, really. Yeah. Um, do you still have the, the medal, John, and the singlet that you wore that day? Are, are they all safely guarded away at home? Well, they're, I don't know about safely guarded, but I'm, they're here. They are here, yeah. I would, I would often have had to produce the medals maybe to schools or whatever like that so at least I know exactly where they are to put my hands in them at a, at a moment's notice for be it for photos or whatever so yeah they're, they're hard to come by so we're, uh, we're quite proud of them and I'm sure there's great memories of um, the homecoming as well and um, back in Castle Island uh, back in the day and there must have been some party that night or or what what was the the reaction back home, John, because I'm sure mountain running like now, pr- probably still a minority sport. You had, of course, Jack Charlton and the boys in green who are dominating the sports pages back then, just after a year after the Italian 90. Did, did you get much reaction from, from the media back home? 
I did indeed. Um, I was probably quite surprised at the, um, the media coverage I got back here. Um, you mentioned the homecoming. I suppose the homecoming was a little story to it because when I arrived into Dublin, I decided to head across the Strand Hill in Sligo where I had won the Warriors race on a number of occasions. And they had put on a reception for me in Strand Hill. So I headed over there and uh, I spent a couple of days there. I went around to the schools and it was only when I travelled back to carry that I found out they had bonfires and everything set up for me for when I arrived into Dublin, expecting me home, uh, coming to straight home to carry from Dublin. So that was supposed to was a bit of disappointing disappointment for my home fans uh, after that. But um, but yeah, to, to answer your question there, uh, the local papers here, the national papers, they all took, in fairness, they all took a great interest in the event and, and uh, gave me great publicity indeed for it, you know. And John, maybe for our listeners that are listening who... Who, who want to be as good as they can be on mountain races, trail running races. Maybe could, could we talk about your journey to becoming a, a world mountain running champion and what tips and what advice you can give to people listening about that journey? Because as you were saying, you weren't running on the mountains every day. You weren't doing all your sessions on the mountains. That you had a very good road running career before that so maybe could you talk to us about your your training and the years building up to that and what type of training you were doing okay i suppose i i took up athletics quite late in life i took up athletics at the age of 17 um and my first coach was a chap called pat griffin who was a great man for uh, track racing and that so i suppose in those early years i concentrated on, on a bit on the track and you know, uh, the 5,000 metres, um, I got a PB of 13.55 for the 5,000 on the track. And that got me on the panel for the Irish training panel for the Olympics for 84. Um, I didn't make the final team for the Olympics. But um, I was, you know, I was only 21 years of age or whatever. And I was running 13.55, you know, which was, it was a good, it was a good base to have, you know. Um I suppose I turned to road and cross country after that, um, got on the Irish team, um, made the world cross country team. Um, I suppose I was probably stronger on the road. The half marathon would have been my strong event. Um, I won the Irish half marathon title twice. Uh, with a, my PB was 63.15 for the half marathon. I think it's still an, I think it's still the championship record in Ireland. It was up to a couple of years ago anyway. Incredible I think time. it still is. Um, so... You know, um, then I had a couple of 47s for the 10 milers. Um, I think a couple of them was even behind Jerry Kiernan and Dayton, you know. And um, I suppose all of that eventually, uh, I came to the situation where I went to the Isle of Man, uh, which was the turning point, I suppose, of my career then. Uh, I went to the Isle of Man for a, an athletics festival over there. And um, I finished third in the road race in uh, in Douglas in the Isle of Man on Good Friday. Uh, I went out in the mountain race next day up Peel Mountain, and against the same opposition, I won it. I won it very easily, you know, and uh, that gave me, I suppose, food for thought. And then uh, on the on Easter Sunday, I was involved in the three mile relay race, and I finished third. The mountain running kicked off. Um, my next stepping stone. Going after that, there was a race up in Strand Hill in Sligo, which had a thousand pounds at the time for the, the winner. And it was yeah. called the Warriors Race. And um, Kenny Stewart was the world mountain running champion at the time. So Kenny was uh, coming over for that race. 
But um, I actually ended up beating Kenny on the night and winning that race and winning winning the thousand pounds. So I think that really got me hooked into mountain running then. And slowly but surely, I suppose, I, I drifted more towards mountain running than road racing after that, even though I still kept the road racing going. Um, but I suppose that's really how I got into the, uh, the sport of mountain running. But um, I suppose for me, I look, you know, a lot of people have asked me over the years, my longevity in the sport. I think my longevity in the sport was the fact that I enjoyed my sport so much. I enjoyed running. Going out training was not a chore for me. Um, I always made sure that my sessions were that I enjoyed training. If I didn't enjoy what I was doing, I changed it. I made, I did some changes that would make it interesting. And I suppose the other thing I tried to do in my career was we all have to make maybe some sacrifices for to have that kind of success. But I tried to keep those sacrifices to the minimum because I think if you make too big a sacrifice, you lose the enjoyment of your sport. And um, I think I think that word enjoyment and sport is they're very important words to remember for those of us, for people who want to be successful in, in, in any sport. Yeah. John, what do you think it was that, that made you so good on the mountains? Because, you know, there was, there would have been a lot of people running 100 miles week plus in training, you know, lots of people around that time that, that were running incredible half marathon and marathon times, but not everybody went on to become a world champion in the mountains. Was it something natural that you had or was it just that, you know, as a, as a young boy in Kerry, you were out in the mountains, out in the reeks all the time. I know you worked very hard on the farm as well. So you must have had natural great strength from that. What was there anything different you were doing in training that made you so good well, in the mountains? You could probably maybe go back to before my training career even took off, I think really to see what maybe what might have influenced me in, uh, into the mountains or maybe given me that uh, that that style of running the suited mountain running I suppose like you said I grew up in very much in a, in a mountainous area here in the Stax Mountains in North Kerry and um, as a young lad growing up in this area um, I would be maybe at the age of six and seven years of age going out in the mountains on the sun on the Sundays with the neighbors here who would be into hunting would have been a big time big thing in that era and I growing up in this area and um, I would have been going out with them and spending hours and hours trekking across the mountains on Sundays and the hunts with them. Um, so that would have given me the kind of base, I suppose, for a start. The other thing was that, you know, in the area I was in, I was either going uphill or I was going down. There was very little flat in, in, in where I live on the mountainside uh, here in North Kerry. And um, I suppose that would have given me a kind of a, a, a good base for, for, the, uh, for the sport of mountain running. And I suppose, you know, when I took up the running and took cross took up cross country running, uh, I suppose John Tracy would have been a big hero of mine because from his win in Glasgow, that really set me interested in running. When John won the world cross country in Glasgow, that really influenced influenced me. But um, it's interesting that years later, when John did the foreword on on my book, uh, he described meeting me and he described me as almost not tame. And um, I, can, I can see where that was coming from with my upbringing and, and the background I had here in, in, the, in, in the mountains of Kerry. Apart from that famous win, John, when he became world champion, what would you say is your other maybe favourite racing memory that you have? Would, would it have been on the track, on the road, um, cross country? I know you have a very special relationship with the Karen Tuchel race, as we said, but maybe off the mountains, what are, what are your best memories? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you say Cairntool would, of course, but um, winning Snowden, the Snowden Mountain Race would, of course, be very close to the win to the world uh, event for me. Uh, winning Snowden was being the first Irish man to win that race meant a lot to me. Um, off the road, um, I suppose. Look, is is the national half marathon victories? I think would have to be uh, my off the road uh, favorite races or favorite memories. Uh, it's nice to win an Irish title, and. Um, yeah, I think I think the National Half Marathon, probably in Rathcool, uh, will will be my favourite uh, road racing road racing memory. There's a lot of people now, John, of course, that can't get out to the mountains because of the five k limit and so on, and might be you know missing the mountains and maybe have a race in mind for later on in the summertime or later on this year, and they want to do well or whatever. But from from what I can see from your own training, that as we said, you weren't up the mountains every day. So for the people listening, what advice, John, could you give them that they can't get to the mountains at the moment, that it, that it's okay, I think, that once they just keep on going on the roads, keep their aerobic base work going, add in a couple of sessions, that once they do get to the mountains in a couple of weeks, in a couple of months' time, the, the body will respond, that we don't need to be running on the mountains every day to be good at running on the mountains. Oh, absolutely. That's 100%. Yeah, uh, I agree totally with you on that. I mean, when I won my first Karen Tool race, I, I I won that and, and it it was the record time, you know, and um, that was done completely off of road, road running and uh, some cross country running. I hadn't been on the hills at all, other than here locally, uh, trekking around my hose. The, the any year that I concentrated doing too much running on the mountains as part of my training, my performance actually dropped. I think it was a type of maybe a little bit muscle bound or something from all the hills. The years I got the best results was where I had variety in my training, putting in track sessions, um, putting in tempo runs on the road, um, and minimizing my runs on the mountain to uh, maybe maybe once a week even, you know. Yeah. And I saw you, John, say as well that, I mean, you, you, you weren't too fussy about your diet back then either. I mean, nowadays we can all get so obsessed with eating the right foods and and, you know, all the rest. But your diet was just a bit of everything. I think that that you said that, you know, once you're running so much and burning off so much calories, that your body actually needs sometimes just pure carbohydrates and you were never too fussy about it. Absolutely not. Uh, again, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier on about not having to make too big a sacrifices. Otherwise, you'll lose the enjoyment of your sport. It'll become a chore. I just, I eat a norm. I just eat normal food. I eat pretty well everything, to tell you the truth. I wasn't into the science of sport and it wasn't a big thing in my time anyway. Um, you know, taking your heart rate and, and, and all that goes with it. I know I've spoke to people in recent times and they tell me that I could have been 10% better if I had focused on a combination of diet and the science of sport. But if that is true, then I would have been running 12 minutes and 30 for 5K and I'd have been running 56 minutes for half marathon. So I, I don't think there was a 10% improvement in me uh, had I gone that down that road of diet and and um, and science of sport, you know. Uh, but look, I loved what I was doing. There was a lot of thought put into my training programs and um, it wasn't just something that you just went out and ran every day. It was planned, uh, a balance of training. Um, so I suppose, in a way, that was that was our science of sport in, in that area, you know. But that's that's what everybody was really doing at that time, you know. 
And I saw, John, as well, I just read that you were actually offered a, a three-year contract by Adidas at the time and that you expressed maybe a little bit of regret that you didn't take it up, but you got plenty of fulfillment in the sport in other ways. I did indeed. Yeah, I got a three-year uh, contract to America uh, to run full-time uh, with uh, Team Adidas over there under, under Craig Virgin, who's the former world cross-country champion. Um, yeah, it was a hard call. It was a hard call to tell you the truth at the time. But looking back on it, you look, you know, sometimes things happen for a reason. You know, I ended up winning a world mountain running title that I might not have got had I gone down that road. Um, you know, a lot of top athletes have gone to America. A lot of fine athletes have come back burnt out from uh, the American running in full time in America. So look, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, at the time, maybe I had some regrets, but looking back on it now, I think I'm quite happy uh, the road that uh, that my sport took me. And look, I, I was doing what I enjoyed and, and I, I was enjoying the mountains. And it's something that I that I always have a love for, you know, for that type of landscape. Yeah. Were you ever tempted to do any coaching, John? Because I'm sure people ask you for advice all the time. Have you ever coached or did you ever think about doing it? I suppose I often thought about doing it. I have on numerous occasions met young athletes starting out, we'll say late teens or early 20s starting out and I sat down and had a good talk with them about running and give them my thoughts and on tips on, on training. Um, I haven't gone down the road of coaching anybody. Um, I suppose I'm a bit reluctant to do that now because I see the way a sport has gone so scientific um, that I almost feel that... Um, I wouldn't be up to up to doing what what they, what they do with training nowadays. Um, I had my way of doing it. Times have moved on, um, but I think like you know when I talk to young athletes, I, I try to explain to them that a lot of it is mental as well. A lot of it is your psychology. You have to believe in yourself, and uh, you have to have that drive to get out and train on on the bad winter days. Um, and and a lot of it a lot of it is. I mean I've, I've said it before in interviews. I think I've often lined up in races with athletes who were better than me um, and I've ended up beating them. And I think that's a kind of an inner strength and a mentality. And I suppose really, look, that doesn't change. You know, that's the same today as it was as, as it was in, in my era, you know. Yeah. Well, well, John, we've only touched on the surface today um, about that incredible career you have. And thanks very much for, for joining us. And I know over the last 10 years when I've been on Irish teams and on any trip, you, your name was always whispered, always mentioned. You, you, you were a great inspiration and still are, of course, a great inspiration to all the runners out there. And um I'm looking forward to meeting you in person, John, and we haven't met each other yet. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see each other maybe down in Kerry one day or sure. You never know. We we might get you over at one of these um, big UTMB races or something like that. And have you flying the Irish flag? It'd be be, be great to to meet you one day, John. Please God, only will happen. And I'm looking forward to it very much indeed. John, thanks for meeting for your time and um, I'm sure everybody enjoyed hearing about the time when, when an Irish man was the best mountain runner in the world. John, thanks a million. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, everybody. Got 
there you have it a true gent there and hopefully john's inspiring story and words will help keep you going over the course of this week and beyond and before we go guys one of our aims this year is to involve you the listeners as much as possible so with this in mind we'd love to hear about any special training or race you do between podcasts with our new podium run listener feature for the trail running ireland podcast if you smashed it rate it gold and send us a brief description and photo if you can and we'll read it out on air and share on our social media if it went really well but still a few things that can be improved rate it silver and if you're on the right track it's a good run and you're looking forward to getting even better next time rate it bronze that's all just the guidance of course you know yourself guys what merits a gold silver or bronze run for you we're dying to hear from you and looking forward to hearing how ireland's trail and mountain runners are doing at the moment you can direct message us or tell us about it in the comment section across our social media channels so that's our podium run guys and before i go please check out our patreon page too as well if you get a chance where you can make a small contribution to help keep us going over the year thanks guys for your support of the show thanks for listening in good luck with your training over the next couple of days get your running gear on let's go Let's